0: Good morning, friends. Are you called to be a teacher? Well, you might want to read romans 12, 7, 1 corinthians twelve twenty eight and Ephesians four verse eleven before you answer. Now all of us have memories of certain teachers who made a difference to us. Somewhere in elementary school. I remember some really great teachers I had in elementary school at St. John's in Seward, Nebraska some in the junior high years, some in high school, and some in college, and for myself, uh, in postgraduate work and in the seminary, and in a variety of other places. Now, they all differed in a thousand ways, but they had this in common. They cared about us. They made a difference, and we're better people because we knew them. So it will not surprise you that the Bible has a lot to say about teachers and teaching. The Old Testament is filled with commands that parents should teach their children what God has said. As the centuries passed, certain men rose up who were teachers of the law. They would study the Torah in uh, minute detail and teach his precepts to the people of Israel. To them was committed the great heritage of Judaism. From these men came the scribes and eventually the Pharisees. In those days, to be a teacher of the law was a very high honor. The men who did it were called rabbis. Now, as you pass into the New Testament, immediately you're confronted with the fact that Jesus was a teacher. Now, we usually don't think of him that way. To us, he's just Savior and Lord. But over 40 times in the Gospels, Jesus is called a teacher or rabbi. It is said that he taught by the seashore, on the mountains, on the plain, in a boat, in the synagogue, and in the temple. We don't think of Jesus as a rabbi, but that's what he's called. People called him rabbi or teacher. Now, when Dr. Luke comes to sum up his life, he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, that the gospel of Luke is a record of all that Jesus began to do and teach. That was his whole life, what he did and what he taught. And as you read further, you find that teaching is mentioned over and over and over again. It's one of the spiritual gifts. And gifted teachers play a gifted role, a crucial role, in the foundation of the Christian church. Now, as a place to begin today, I would like to lay down two simple, but I think pretty crucial points. First of all, there's a sense in which all Christ followers are to be teachers. That's both you and me. Now, in the Great Commission, Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples of every nation. And part of that commission was, what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Now, Paul picked up on that idea in Colossians three sixteen when he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The writer to the Hebrews gave the same idea, Slightly different twist. It's so writing to a bunch of believers who had not progressed past spiritual infancy. He did say this though, by this time you want to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. That's Hebrews 5, verse 12. You can read that in context. Now, that's kind of a rebuke there in Hebrews, and kind of a challenge to all of us. Where are you along the spectrum of Christian growth? Are you still you know, drinking from the bottle and trying to learn your spiritual ABCs? Or have you moved on to solid food? Now, if the answer to the last question is yes, then you ought to be a teacher on at least two different levels. Well, what levels are those? Well, level one, we're to be involved in teaching new converts the basic principles of the Christian faith. That's what the Great Commission implies and what Hebrews 5 clearly says. Now, put another way, every Christian ought to be either learning his ABCs or teaching them to someone else. Now, in concrete terms, this means you ought to be able to teach a new believer how to find assurance of salvation, what the gospel is all about, how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to have a quiet time, how to handle temptation, how to be filled with the Spirit, and how to lead someone else to Jesus. Now, those are just the basic facts of the spiritual life. You ought to be able to explain those things to someone else. We are all to teach each other the things we have learned from the word. Now, those two things hold true whether or not you ever teach behind a pulpit or lectern or in a classroom. See, what we learn, we are to share with other people. And that sharing, whether one-on-one or in a small group or a large group, is teaching in the truest sense. You don't need the gift of teaching to do that. And yet, this is level number two. There is a spiritual gift of teaching which some, which some Christ followers possess. Now, this gift was obviously very important to God because he mentioned it in three different passages of Scripture. In Romans twelve seven, he says, If it, your spiritual gift, is teaching, let him teach. That's pretty plain, pretty simple. Teachers are to teach. That's to be their specialty, and they shouldn't get bogged down in other ministries. I mean, find the teachers, turn them loose, and let them teach God's word to the rest of the church, to anybody and everybody. Then in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty eight it says, And in the church God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Now, did you notice the divine priority Teaching comes third on the list. Now, that surprises a lot of people, I'm sure. In God's economy, which is more important, teaching or miracles? Well, it's teaching. What's more important, teaching or healing? It's teaching. Which is more important, teaching or speaking in tongues? It's teaching. Now, amazing as it seems, God puts teaching ahead of these spectacular gifts that this generation seems to prize pretty highly. And finally, in Ephesians 4.11, Paul writes, It was he, that's the ascended Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, this is another, I'd call it priority list here, the only change being that the evangelist is listed ahead of the pastor-teacher. He comes first because the evangelist spreads the gospel while the pastor-teacher comes afterward to teach the new converts. I think the meaning here is pretty clear. The gift of teaching is one of the most important gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's far more important than any of these other so-called sign gifts. See, people with sign gifts may attract a lot of attention, but they don't do as much good as those gifted teachers who just simply go about their everyday work, day after day, week after week, just to explain the truths of the Bible to little kids, to teenagers, to adults, or in my case, with my partner, people in prison. In God's economy, the teachers come far ahead of the miracle workers. Well what then is the spiritual gift of teaching? Well, here's a kind of a working definition. It goes this way. The gift of teaching is the special ability to study the Bible and readily communicate its contents in a clear and accurate fashion so that others may understand what the Bible says and how to apply it to life. Now I say sadly, this gift is underrated today. Whatever we talk about spiritual gifts, we tend to focus on the spectacular and yeah, the controversial. And may I say to you that churches built on controversial and spectacular, yeah, they don't really stand the test of time. Now they may grow very large, very fast. They may even attract an enormous amount of attention. They may appear to far out, far outstrip the rest of us. But without good teaching, those churches. Well, they just crumble and fall. There's no solid foundation to build upon. See, in a real sense, sound teaching is the practical foundation of any local church. When you have sound teaching, not only in the pulpit, but in every other part of the church, the church will be strong and virile. In medical terms, the teachers are like the skeletal system of the body. They give shape to everything else. Now, I say that because Christianity, at its heart, is a teaching religion. Now, unlike Eastern religions and the various New Age cults, which kind of bypass the mind, Christianity is built upon certain intellectual content. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that's why he says calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Anyone who takes away the intellectual content of the Christian faith has in reality taken away Christianity itself. Now, as I said, we tend to downplay the importance of teaching today. The anti-intellectual spirit of the day has even infected the church. The me generation stresses feelings and emotions over facts and ideas. And even when we come to church, we judge the effectiveness of the service by how it makes us feel. I mean, if we feel good... The service was good. If we don't, it wasn't. Experience is in, doctrine is out, along with, sadly, expository preaching. We have zeal without knowledge, faith without facts, emotion without understanding, and consequently, big programs of small doctrine. We would rather feel good than study hard. The inevitable result is an empty faith which must constantly be whipped up by an appeal to emotions. Now, such a faith will not stand the test of time. Now, the great preacher John Stott one time said, Experience without truth is the menace of a mindless Christianity. You see, friends, ours is a reasoning faith. It cannot survive apart from a body of truth. And teaching is what the Christian faith is all about. Now, I don't know whether you've ever taken a survey of what the New Testament says about teaching. Well, I have and I did, and I was amazed at how many times it comes up. For example, one, the ability to teach is one requirement for elders. That's in first Timothy three two. Second, training men who will be able to teach others is the goal of discipleship. That's also in Second Timothy two two. Older women, number three, are to teach younger women. That's in Titus two, three and four. Young men are to devote themselves to preaching and teaching. That's first Timothy four thirteen. That's number four. Number five, the ability to teach is a mark of spiritual maturity. That's James three one. And six, the result of good teaching is that the student becomes like his teacher. That's in Luke chapter six, verse forty. And then seven, teachers will incur a stricter judgment, that's James three one. At eight, the early church grew because the leaders taught the word of God. You can find that in Acts six two. At nine, we are not to allow the teaching of false doctrine in the church. First Timothy one three. Uh, how about one more? Number ten, elders who work hard at the teaching are accorded double honor. First Timothy five seventeen. Wow, you know there is one problem, however, which seems to be peculiar to strongly conservative evangelical churches. And I'm speaking from experience here. Whenever we talk about the gift of teaching, we subconsciously assume it mainly refers to seminary students, seminary professors, seminary graduates. When somehow we assume that it doesn't really apply to the rest of us. But friends, that simply is not true. There are many men and many women who are highly gifted teachers who never go to the seminary. And thank God for those dedicated people who do indeed have the gift of teaching. It's been my observation that many lay people have this gift. And that's going to sound kind of odd, but in fact, I think more women than men usually have this gift. Or at least more women seem willing to use it. Ask men if they teach a Bible class, and sometimes uh, it's kind of pulling teeth. Sometimes when you ask women if they like to lead a Bible study, they're like, that sounds interesting. Now, I'm not saying that that's true in every church. But Jesus said, everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. That was in Luke 6.40. See, so when we teach, we impart much more than information. We impart our deepest life values to our students. The lessons won't be forgotten, but the values will remain. Now, sometimes it's hard to measure your effectiveness by what you're doing today. Now, sometimes you're just sowing seeds. You're just kind of gospeling. Sometimes you are watering it. Uh, And it can seem like the harvest is never going to come. You know, teachings like that, you plant a lot of seeds, you water, you pray a lot, you sit back and you wait. And not all the seeds come up, but some will. So the question is, why would you want to teach? My answer is because it's so rewarding. There are rewards in the changed lives of people. There are rewards in the growth that comes in your own life. There are rewards in the benefit that good teaching brings to God's church. And there are rewards in the changed moral atmosphere of this world. Now, are there? and there are rewards in eternity, when the full harvest finally comes and we look around and we see people who are in heaven because we taught them on earth. And here's the good news. You don't have to be famous or particularly brilliant to teach. You don't have to be highly educated You don't have to be clever or witty or unusually attractive. You don't have to be anything but willing. It won't cost you anything but your life. If you don't mind being a sower, you can be a teacher. There are hungry minds, open hearts all around us. The door of opportunity is wide open. Now, I can't speak for all churches, but I think many of us in the church particularly in the church I attend, for example, praise and worship, know so much. I'm not sure that the lack of knowledge is our problem, if we have a problem. If anything, we sometimes know too much. We're biblically well-educated, but the question is not what do you know, but rather what are you doing with what you know? Now look at all that seed God's given you. I mean, enough for you, enough for your family, plenty left over. I mean, isn't it about time you planted some of it someplace? Now, they called Jesus rabbi, teacher, and meant it as a great compliment, for he indeed was the master teacher. But no one goes to heaven simply by calling him teacher. It is true, but it's not enough. Because he's more than a teacher, he's also Savior and Lord. He's more than a teacher of moral precepts, he's also the Savior of the world. Now, part of what it means to be saved is admitting that you need salvation, that you can't save yourself and that Jesus is the savior you need. And as long as you cling to your own good works as your hope for heaven, Jesus is not your savior. To be saved by Jesus means to stop trying to save yourself. When you finally give up on yourself and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I know it, in that moment, you have become an excellent candidate for salvation. So, it really all comes down to this. Is Jesus your Savior? Have you ever turned away from all your good works to trust Jesus and him alone for your salvation? The good news is that Jesus died for you. He paid the price so that by trusting in him alone, you could be saved. And guess what? A teacher probably shared that with you somewhere along the line. I'd invite you to open your heart right now and place your trust in Jesus. And in that moment that you do that, Jesus will become not just your teacher, but your Savior as well. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless, and teach on.